Hello and welcome. I'm excited to announce that I've just released my first ebook and it's completely free just for you. And I guarantee if you love this show, you'll love this book. So go check it out after you finish listening at lukegreenheart.com forward slash free. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Selfish Podcast. Today we have Lynn Frank, who I'm excited to get to know and hear her story and life. So thank you, Lynn, for being here. Can you just share with me and the audience, where in the world are you and what time of day is it for you? Okay, I am in uh, Canada, Ontario, a town called Grimsby. It's about a half hour, 45 minutes from Niagara Falls. and um, it is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, nice. I'm in the south of Spain and it's 4 p.m. for me. And I just love to hear where my guests are from. And even my audience, the audience can drop a comment and let me know where they are because I just find it beautiful that we can connect in this instant. And I always like to just re-remind people how amazing it is that they can listen to this and we can have an instant conversation. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful time to, to connect and share. Yeah. It is actually one of the uh, advantages to technology because sometimes I curse it quite a bit, but the um, human connection is definitely a positive for me. Yeah, well, I spent years and years uh, not using, like I'd use digital products, say, and do things for work as such. But I was off all social media. I was just like, I didn't want to touch it. But it wasn't until I really felt like I had a passion and something that I wanted to share because I could see it make a difference to people and I could be of service. And then when I was in that state, I was like, you know what? It's here. It's it's available. I'm just going to use it for the best means I can and not uh, take advantage of it and not use it for anything destructive for myself. So I just use it now to really put positive messages out and share and connect with people. So I really appreciate you for being here to connect with me in this moment. I'm happy to be here. And what I like to do with my guests to get to know them more personally is to go to their childhood and hear about their life. So can you paint me a picture of what life was like, like pre-10 years old? What did your parents do? Where did you grow up? Okay, I love this journey. Um, my father is an immigrant from Italy and my mother is French-Canadian. So she grew up in Quebec. That's a province in Canada where the mother tongue is French. So growing up, my mother only spoke to me in French um, and we grew up, I have two sisters. I'm the oldest of three girls and um, a pretty normal, if you will, childhood. Uh, my mom stayed home to raise us. My dad um, worked. Unfortunately, he lived to work. Um, he kind of got that backwards and at the age of 33, uh, passed away in a work incident, accident. And so I grew up in a home of four independent, strong women. And uh, that journey obviously keeps evolving, but has allowed me to, um, you know, live life to its fullest and uh, stay active in my community because living with a single mom, you became dependent on neighbors for car rides and uh, social gatherings. And so um, I'm a true believer in uh, it takes a community <laughs> to do all things. <laughs> oh, nice. And yes, um, I think we're, and I think most people have had a touch of it in the last two years, but I think we're a very social mm -hmm. creature, you know, we, we live to be with others. I think it's a form of punishment to be isolated, you know, just what they use in prisons for the ones that have been really bad. They get isolated even from prisoners and they, they don't like it. Um, so I think, yeah, the community is vital. And what was school like for you? What was school life like in your childhood? Um, I went to an all French school. So um, that was a different experience. It means that I had like a group of friends in my neighborhood. And then I had a school group of friends because I had to be bused to the French school. And because that was a smaller community, we shared busing with a, a school called Holy Spirit. And they were um, from the Ukraine. So um, those children were, we talked about French culture, they talked about the Ukrainian culture. And so um, 
that was neat. I think that was probably the first time I was like, oh, people do things differently. It exposed me to what is really around me. I had never given that any thought. Um, high school, I went to an all-girls high school, um, which I loved. It wasn't private. It was the last public high school uh, that was uh, all girls and the all boys school was across the street. And I loved that experience because again, um, the universe served me. I was able to grow up and be educated in an all women environment. And so it really has given me this, I think, unique perspective on the power of women. So yeah. And then I went to university um, at when I graduated, I was pissed off. I was so mad that I was going to have to get a job um, <laughs> that I left to travel. <laughs> and uh, I traveled Europe uh, solo and then came home. I did my postgrad in public relations. I worked in that industry for a couple years and then decided I wanted to be a teacher. So I moved to Australia with my fiance. I did my master's of education there. And uh, yeah, now I've been teaching for um, 20 years and nice. doing a side hustle, empowering women. Nice. And I'm really interested with the language side of things, because like you said, you went to a, an all French school and your mom spoke to you in French. So would you say like French was your first language? Is that what you was most fluent in in the start of your yeah. life? Yes. Yeah. I started speaking from English when I was three. So my mother tongue is French. And I will say when I was in grade seven, my dad did send me to Italian school. So I, uh, I hated it. It was a really hard experience actually, because most of those children had one spoke French or pardon me, spoke Italian in their home. Um, and we didn't. And they had been going to the school for years and I started late. So that was a, a good kick in the pants on um, learning to speak Italian. And so, yeah, I mean, I did. I Then I took it. That, that encouraged me to, uh, motivated me to take it in high school. And so, um, yeah. Oh, nice. so my friend, What's I, your first words in French then, you're, if you've been told what your first word was? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Probably what era, you know, most first children's words are mama, papa. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 to, and just on a side note, I spoke only French to my own children. So I have two kids now and um, because French is, you know, part of my culture and my heritage um, and I live in an English speaking community, I knew it would be important to instill that language in them right from the beginning so that it becomes a part of who they are. So uh, for the first two years of my children's lives, I only spoke to them in French and they also attended an all French school. Okay. Cause in the UK, we have the option, not the option with this part of your structure in uh, sort of when you're about 10 years old, I think you start, you, you learn French as another language. Hello. Sorry, someone just walked past me saying hello. And, <laughs> and yeah, so that's a nice thing here when you're in the countryside people just stop and say hello or good day even if they you look busy <laughs> yeah it's nice but it's nice that's community that's yeah, community so different to where i was from in england it's unbelievable um you look the other way you know <laughs> you don't you yeah. don't interact yeah look down yeah and, um, yeah now I, I would imagine that's gotten worse but yeah um yeah i just on a side note in canada you do in grade um you do go there are French core classes that students do go to, but the all French schools are separate from that. Um, all the subjects are taught in French, where the English public schools, you get a period a day of French. Yeah, I think so, ours, ours so, is like a period twice a week, maybe even of French. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it works similar to that. Yeah, and then when we went to high school or what we call secondary school, um, it was then you get the choice. It's like, oh, do you want to continue French or do you want to now learn Spanish instead? And some kids, it was like an option could learn German. They had to have a really good okay. reason. Um, and then for the, <laughs> the ones that would like exhale in, you had to exhale in maths and and the language you was doing, and then you could add Latin on top if you wanted. But that was for the rare few. Um, wow. I was doing terrible in French. So I got to school and I was like, do you know what? 
I've already done two years. I'm going to stick this out and I'll choose that as my language. And I still, I could never get, I just could never get it. It never worked out so well for me. On that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, it can, picking up a language can be difficult. I know it can be tricky. I was, I remember thinking how lucky I was when I was learning the Italian, that so much of it was similar to the French grammar. And, and I thought, oh, I really should be learning Spanish as well, but I have yet to uh, cross that bridge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still trying to learn Spanish at the moment, but I've realized now that I'm older, I can look back and it's like, I didn't realize I had is I have like what someone would call dyslexia. I don't like to yeah. label myself with anything, but I see words very differently. And I've always jumbled up sentences and read signs backwards. And like, I remember my brother always laughing. He's like, you're able to change a word in a way that I didn't think is possible. And he goes, now I've forgotten what it is. And, um, <laughs> and I think that was my obstacle when I was trying to learn French. I just couldn't put the words together in the text because I can repeat the sound. The sound is okay. But when it was through text, yeah. I just couldn't get anywhere with it. So now that's interesting. Yeah. And do you remember the first thing, like the first dream or ambition or desire of something when you was really young that you wanted to like do, be or become? Uh, um, I don't know about really young. Um, I, I'm still very good at living in the moment, but I do know when um, I realized that if I didn't start, this is like early 20s, like that time where I realized, oh, man, society wants me to get a job. Okay, I'm out of here. Um, I did start living by a to-do list. Um, and But one that was self-created. So uh, I can't really remember dreaming wildly about becoming something. But as I um, age and am more certain with who I am and what I believe, um, I do dream about... Um, becoming an activist and speaking in front of crowds of people. So not as a child, but, but later in life, actually, which I think is kind of cool because most people lose the ability to dream wildly and believe they can. It's almost as we age, um, our imagination dwindles and our belief in what is possible, um, has boundaries around not only our comfort zone, but like what we think is realistic. And I would say that has been the opposite for me. So I'm, I, I feel lucky in that way. Yeah. yeah. For the most part it's normally the opposite way around. Like you say, when people get to mm -hmm. almost 30, if they haven't achieved whatever their dream or desire was, it's like, there's no point in having dreams and desires anymore. This is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. And they yeah. sort of shut themselves off. And I think a big part of that is because I've always been really ambitious and had lots of dreams and stuff, but yeah. I went through the stage of realizing I had all these expectations and when they didn't get met, then you're met by the disappointment and you have to sort of rewrite your story. Uh, I was still able to realize and come to a thing that is, I don't need the expectation to be met, but I can still dream and enjoy the ride. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to feel great on the way either way. And that's where I set myself now. It's like, I'm not set on my expectations. It has to become this way, but that doesn't mean yeah. I'm not going to go for it. You know, and, and then that takes all the pressure off I felt. Um, oh, that, yeah, I love that. That's actually huge this year. Um, you know, pick a word, pick a mantra, something to focus on. What, what are you going to, you know, 2022, what is that about for you? And, ah, forever. Like I sat in stillness for like weeks I'm Luke I'm talking like it took me I usually can come up with a, a focus pretty quick and I could not and then I realized it's really what you're just talking about there it's you know I, I know it sounds corny but all about the journey and I decided that okay this year I'm really going to you know have an expectation whether I reach it or not um I, I'm just not gonna I thought oh, what am I trying to say here I'm gonna follow follow the universe. I'm going to let her guide me. So rather than being ego driven or, you know, so focused on this one expectation that I think I'm supposed to achieve, I'm going to turn right and left when the universe invites an opportunity. And you're right. Like the amount of stress that releases from the process is unbelievable, life-changing really. Because now you're just going with the flow and it feels better. 
Yeah, I think that's the, like you're saying, what happens to most people, like the opposite you went through is they build up all that resistance over years and that pressure weighs down on them. And then they can't, like you said, they can't use their imagination anymore than just to maintain day-by-day activities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we... What comes to mind first? Not the biggest, not the worst, but what just comes to mind first when I ask, what was your earliest, um, what was your first struggle in life? What comes to mind first? Mm, uh, Body image. Okay. Um, Did you find that time when you was, when you was going through that motion, did you find anything that gave you support in that? Was there any activity or anything you'd done that you found helped you during that time? I don't know that I felt help around that issue for a really long time, but I remember clearly the summer of grade six when I. What age would that be? Sorry, just for us Europeans. Oh, yeah, uh, 12. I was about 12. Okay. When I decided I had to be skinny and started hating my body and working out and you know eating celery sticks because i had read um celery sticks are so low in calorie by the actual chewing it's like you're eating nothing at all because you you burn the calories while you are you know chewing on the celery stick um nonsense like that um i don't know that i recognize that it was um going to last as long as it did but i do know that um it was common and that it's a serious issue for women of all ages who deal with body shame and a lack of self-worth because of their appearances. And so I guess the emotion, hmm, that's Luke, that's a good one. Um, just not good enough would, would, would probably, if I'm, I'm trying, I'm sitting down, I can imagine myself. I remember the house I'm in. I remember the kitchen table. It's the summertime. And I, I can picture myself right now, like eating that bowl of tomato soup, my sister's putting crackers in it, me wanting to put the crackers, refusing, you know, in my neighborhood, there was a hill. I would run up and down that hill. Um, so desperately wanting to look different, for September when school started again. And um, I'm, I'm going to be 46 now, I would say, uh, loving my body is something that I've learned to do, you know, within the last decade. What do you think sparked that shift that change a decade ago? It was after having children, I would say, uh, might have been like the peak of the dislike for my body. So I think that, you know, when you hit a low and the only, the only alternative is, well, in, in my opinion, the only alternative is to go up. And so, yeah, it's kind of like I hit rock bottom and even though like, so amazed with what my body was able to do and, and, uh, you know, give birth and life and, you know, the human body is amazing. And I knew all that, like it's, I'm not, you know, um, but you know, damn, I wanted to look good in those jeans. Um, so yeah, I think what changed it was having a daughter that's now. Yeah. It's she, you know, your children make you want to be a better person because you really are their greatest influence for a long period of time. Not always. I'm sure that'll, you know, change. But um, while they're becoming who they're becoming, their time is with you. And when I had a daughter, I knew I didn't want her to, you know, have body shame or issues the way I did. And I also was not naive to the fact that the external world would be putting that pressure on her. Um, So home had to be a place where you love your body. And that meant if I was going to do that authentically, that meant I had to do a lot of work. 
Yeah, no, I, I can relate to it in a different way. I didn't realize I had sort of that body shame until I went through a certain process where it was the way I see it is I became like an internal dictator. And I was always, yeah. I was always into like fitness and health. And I tell you briefly, I don't know how much of my content you've seen, but my, my mother uh, was a single mom with two kids and she developed severe schizophrenia in my childhood. So I had a really abstract childhood and it was caused me a lot of trauma a lot of depression and suicide issues and then through my teens i found boxing and fitness and this was somewhere to get out that anger and then i was but the number one thing i wanted for myself was control because i was told by doctors like oh this could be genetic it could you this could just happen to you one day that you just lose your sanity completely and that was terrifying and i was yeah. like you know what? i can't drink i can't take drugs i've got to be in control in all moments um, and that sent me down another path. And but I started to be really into my fitness and my health and obsessed with my food, obsessed with training to the point it was unhealthy because I think any obsession is unhealthy because you're not, you're doing it out of sort of the wrong intentions. And I led that into being like self-abusive to my body. I'd be angry at my body. I would punch my body that it wasn't behaving the way that I wanted it to, you know, like it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it took like time and it took other practices, but I found that I had to like build that relationship back up. I had to separate my identity from the body and realize it's mine, but not me. And I'm here to take care of it and to love it and treat it right and respect it and, you know, nurture it. And I had to go through all that process and build techniques. I'm really interested, like what processes and techniques did you find to, to build that relationship back up with the body? Well, I could tell you now, my, well, okay, when, when I started that, you realizing, okay, I had to do some work. The first thing I did is change, you know, who I was looking at um, and recognizing that there are confident women who don't have the body I thought you needed to have to be confident. I, I attach that to confidence and, and self-worth. And I intentionally interrupted that thought pattern with, you know, who else is out there? You know what, you know, and um, recognizing that lots of women were doing lots of cool things despite their body. So that, so even though that that's wrong, that is for me how it started um, thinking, oh, they could do that, even though they look like this, like that, that was really where I was. It was a, it's a, a terrible trap and judgment that the uh, piece, one of the pieces I definitely had to work on is um, not to be judgmental towards others, but also myself. And I like what you said, you know, my body is mine, but not me. Um, I would say that rings true for me too, in the process of accepting my body. Now, when I get out of the shower, you know, I take a, a, a cream, whatever it is, I'm always switching it up, but I'm massaging the body and giving it thanks. You know, after my yoga practice this morning and my Pilates yesterday, you know, I just take Shavasana and I lay and instead of, um, I'm intentionally giving thanks to my body for the work that it just did for what it allows me to do every day. And so I almost speak to it as though it's separate, which is why I like when you said, you know, it's mine, but not me. It, when you could kind of see it as separate, your body doing all of these things, um, you do, you, you become grateful. And through that gratitude, um, is appreciation and, and you really do start to love your body. And I think it responds to you, you know, like when I'm massaging and, you know, like I'm relaxing my body and, um, and I feel that I, it, it makes me feel good. So it's, it's giving back. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's, uh, an obstacle or an issue that I see in a lot of people that they've become so demandant on their body uh the way mm -hmm. i see it at the moment is like i don't i don't identify with the body and i also don't identify with my mind that's also mine but not me and that carries my thoughts but they're not me because we have thoughts that appear that you also look at when if you're aware enough and you, you laugh at them where did that come from 
you know like that's yeah. just a, that's just an imprint of experiences <laughs> but it's not something I chose it's not something I want saying yeah. just been and then you spend time cleaning that up so make that mind a nice a nice experience with nice thoughts floating in um but again I identify as the witness within that has sets the intention and that sets the intention and then that can manifest into action and direction and go where then but you have to build a harmony to between that mind and that body and I see like mine, the best way I could explain it is a mind had become like a narcissist stage. That's a term I don't like using because it's too popular now. Uh, and the, I know, become yeah. like a codependent. I think that's just relatable for people at the moment because it's uh, mm -hmm. them words seem to be floating around in the last year so much. Um, mm -hmm. But it was like that and the mind dictating and the thoughts were aggressive and demanding and the body would just cave in. It wanted to do everything to please that mind. And it was just mm -hmm. dying in the process and struggling and it was like an abusive relationship, you know, and it was like, it just, it's, it's got no, it can't detach from it. So it has to just suffer. And I realized that process of it. it brought me to tears when I was going through my process and realizing this as I was giving that love back. And, and I also noticed that the body was also, didn't trust the mind. It was like, oh, you're saying this, you're doing this. But until I started applying actual actions, and I think it's like a relationship. If I was with my love now, Danielle, and I said to her every day, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never touched her, never caressed her. And sometimes a touch is more powerful than a word, you know? Mm -hmm. And the same with a parent. If a parent just said to the child, I love you, I love you all day long, but they never gave them a hug, would that child really believe they loved them? Mm -hmm. um, and that's like what I put a lot on the YouTube channels about the self-love practices that I do and stuff and how, the, how important touch is. And like, I love that you're saying just the appreciation and the touch of yourself when you're putting oil on or new, you're giving actual nurture and intention at the same time with touch. I think that is a, a key development process in rebuilding that, that harmony within. Yeah, I, that is a beauty. You, you might want to listen and retell that story just in a, in a short clip maybe, because that really is a beautiful example of mind body connection, which is something people will also connect with yeah yeah I, put, I think my very first podcast i titled it and i'm actually going to put it into a little book form like a free ebook and then maybe make a bigger book as well but i called it the okay. wtf method because <laughs> yeah, it's witness thoughts feelings and going through that process and and it was it was through that that's how it worked for me and mine happened in isolation and trauma that i had to go through this my out, outside world was crumbling in pieces and my love was dying in my arms and it was like in this process i is where i got to find that space and that connection in, inside to build that harmony back up and again it's not an easy process but 20 years of depression to be un, to unwind itself in a few years to me is fast you know, like, mm -hmm. and I've noticed that with people with addictions, with people I've interviewed who've had years of trauma, years of issues, yeah. or whatever, and they feel like, oh, it did take a long time. And I was like, how long did it take? And they're like, well, three years for me to get where I am. I was like, wow, that's fast. Only three years? <laughs> you know, you're done, it was going wrong for 30. Yeah, I, but the, you know what? Yeah. It's yeah, it, it, I'm thinking I'm just as you're saying that and all I'm hearing is comparing, 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 <laughs> right? It's so hard not to do um, to compare ourselves to someone else's achievements or timeline or, you know, what they were able to do. And, uh, you know, it's hard because we we think if they can, I can. And yet when we do that, we. um self-sabotage because then we're again focused on this like expectation rather than flowing with the experience the universe is trying to serve you yeah. and who knows it taking you longer what lessons you would not have received had it only taken you three years yeah yeah in this yeah. case it's they say so it's a hard place for people to the beginning process is, is a tough place but it's a beautiful mm -hmm. place when you look back on reflection so it's sort of like it's at the time someone might be going through struggles and it's ups and downs um but when you go through the other side it's like same as going to university or something when someone really wants a degree they'll remember some really tough times but once they get that degree they really appreciate the hard work <laughs> yeah yeah. So I'm really interested how 
the last two years, speaking of hard work and life, the last two years has been a, an intense and odd one. I think everyone has been affected by in some way, in some form. Mm-hmm. How has how the last two years been for you, sort of like in your internal process as well as your external world? Oh, Luke, <laughs> you know what? Um, as the pandemic hit, I when I turned four, I'm not going to make this too long, but when I turned 40, um, I'm 45 now, right? Almost 46. When I turned 40, I did um, start to have more time to myself. Uh, we could do another podcast on motherhood, but motherhood kicked my ass in my 30s. And I hardly remember that decade. And when I turned 40, my children were older and I had time to stop and think and reconnect with, you know, who Lynn is and what did she want? And it was a lot of just sitting alone in my bedroom. And then I started reading and I started writing and I remembered this goal that I had when I was 21 and I started traveling, I had decided I was writing a book and it was going to be called what's the rush. And I started writing And I realized when I came home, what I was actually going through was a quarter life crisis. And I don't know, you you spoke earlier tonight about, you know, not wanting to be labeled. It's true because as soon as I was labeled, I was like, oh, I'm going through a quarter life crisis. Oh, well, okay. I never really gave it more thought than that because then all of a sudden it became kind of normal, like people knew about it. And although I continue to write the book, I fell in love and, um, Many of you could probably predict uh, what happened next. I fell in love. Then, you know, that's when I did, you know, the masters. That's when I got a job. That's when I bought a house. That's when I got, you know, had two children. And in that process of doing what I thought I should be doing, really living by age, I disconnected with that book and all the other goals I had set for myself as an individual. And, um, finally wrote a book called Ignite in Circle. And it became had to rewrite the book had probably Yeah, I won't get into that. But the book became a program because I realized I didn't want people just reading I wanted them doing I wanted action. And as I was releasing my program, the pandemic hit. And the program for me is really meant to be done in person. So I was able to hold a few sessions. It's a seven-week program where we come together in circle. and um, But then I had to go online. And that was hard for me. Um, and then the whole um, isolation piece and to be vaxxed or not vaxxed. Now I wasn't just making a decision for myself or my husband, you know, like he was making a decision for himself, but now we had children to think about. Mm. And at first we were really intentional about doing our research on to be vaxxed or not to be vaxxed. And then it came to a point where we realized that there were credible sources on both sides. And I told my husband, you know what, I just have to turn within, I'm dropping the science, I'm dropping the media, I'm just going to go with what feels right. And it was a hard decision. Um, We sat the children down. So if you, Gavin, uh, when the pandemic, so he was 13, 14, um, no, 14, 15, Molly, um, 11, 12. And uh, we spoke to them about, you know, their bodies. And ultimately, we would not decide for them, but we could decide with them. And in the end, Luke, my husband and son are vaxxed and my daughter and I are not. And um, I think that turned out to be so beautiful because we learned and lived by example that you really do have to do what's right for you. And, you know, the boys were allowed to do things before my daughter and I, but um, we stayed true to what felt right in our bodies. And so even though my husband and son chose differently, they still got to witness and are still witnessing (laughs) um, 
what it means to stand your ground on what you believe in. So I try to think of the positive. I think that's a huge life lesson that my little family got to uh, live together. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to remain focused. I just wanted to add on that as well, because what I find beautiful in that is uh, I imagine that you all have a, a good relationship right now. You don't all bicker mm-hmm. and fight with each other. Oh come on, we definitely do. No, but like They're, you're not, you know, it, <laughs> in anger and hatred and protest with each other. No, no, <laughs> like no. A, but I mean, I am the mom of two teenagers, so yeah, the normal amount that you, you would have, whether you were vexed or yes. unvexed, you would have them are them yes. sort of fights. Um, but I think yes. it's a nice uh, example of unity in a time where that topic is causing so much division. Um, mm-hmm. you know where you're showing even in your house life it's a good example for your kids it's like you're still my brother you're still my sister regardless of your choice you know you can yeah. still have love and respect for each other you can still have a discussion and yeah you'll just bicker and fight about pointless stuff <laughs> but you're not, and you, not losing that I just sorry I just want to say I don't openly talk about I try to avoid the whole topic honestly about being vaxxed not vaxxed um uh, but because your questions um, brought me to a place of um, even I was going to say authenticity, but even being vulnerable, um, that just kind of came out naturally. So, yeah, kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like I remember at the beginning of COVID, I thought, I, I thought I'm, you know, I'm going to share some thoughts. And, and I was noticing people getting banned and stuff online. So I was like, well, I'm not going to say anything controversial because I don't want to. I think to be controversial means you're putting friction into into a very messy place uh, and you're going to bring friction back into your life. I was like, what can I put out that sort of resonates on both sides? So I thought, I'm not sharing my opinion on whether I think someone should or shouldn't do anything. That's their choice, not mine. Um, yeah. And I was like, but I can share how you treat each other because I, I think I put a video up about wearing a mask and I was like, whether you choose to or choose not to, doesn't mean you have to be enemies with the other you know you you, you can still have a, a right. life but that anger and that judgment that i was seeing people go through it's like that's that's you're holding that within yourself it's not actually going to that person i see people getting angry and they go home angry still and then they'll be angry about what they've just seen whether it's like i say whether it's someone angry that someone yeah. has been vexed or hasn't been vexed both sides uh, so much anger so yeah. much frustration and it's like and then you take that home then you then yeah. you're taking that to bed <laughs> yeah and it's like this. yeah it it brought me to a whole other experience of you know sometimes you know not sometimes but as a woman you can be judged um i mean as a man as well but um limited oh what am i trying to say here luke what i mean to say is being unvaxed the gift in that was or is that I got to experience the hardships of judgment based on a decision. And I say it's a gift because I had never experienced that before. It's Mm. incredibly difficult. And I could just imagine, uh, you know, I have the, the language, the education, I understand the system. And I was thinking to myself, wow, could you imagine if I was put in this place of judgment and I was an immigrant new to the country? you know, not fully understanding the system, not having a complete grasp of the language, how frightening that would be. And it just opened my eyes to um, the experiences um, that others face and have been facing based on appearance or a decision they've made and, and society never really getting to know them as people or individuals. Um, that was it was a weird feeling it, it yeah 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 and i think that's the beauty of some of the um some of the painful events in life and i was speaking to a podcast guest the other day and he's my youngest ever podcast guest and it was actually his mum mm. who got him on so i did have permission he was 11 years old and, when, mm-hmm. and i thought it was really interesting because i'm going to ask him basically the same questions i want to hear what his earliest struggle is and let's, so he's got he's not got that long of a life to talk about so it's really interesting he's really well spoken as well and um, very cool 
But yeah, he talked about being bullied and he was getting bullied and stuff. And we had a little conversation on that. And I said, like, to me, I said, would you, I said, are you going to bully anyone? He's like, no way, I'd never bully anyone. And I was like, I said, so you've been shown exactly how not to behave and why it's so important. And he's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, so it's like that with your judgment. It's like, you've seen exactly how not to behave from the judgment yeah. you've, you've received. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was, it's been unparalleled to anything I've experienced. Nice. And have you, have you found, again, in this time, in the last uh, two years, during the harder times when it's tough, what's given you sort of a balance back? What's recentered you? Uh, time alone. I, I, you know, my message to anybody and everybody is stillness. It's magical. I, I am a true believer. Everything you need to know, everything you want to achieve is within you. And it really is, do you have the courage to dig deep? Because sometimes it's within you um, and, and it's got layers and you have to let go. I know this sounds crazy, but it, you just, you ha- we have to let go of the things that are not serving us to really find what we've been looking for. And it is nowhere except within you. Like it, we have, we own the power. It is within us and society just keeps reverting us to external factors and people, um, you know, the patriarchy does a good job. It does a good job at convincing you that happiness is in all this consumer thought mentality, Luke, you know where I'm going here. And so I say the answer to to 99.9 of people's problems is actually within yourself. It it really is. Um, And, and I've, I go back to sitting in stillness like daily that that's a daily practice um, because there's always something to think about. And if you believe that you're, you know, I, I say the universe, God, Buddha, Allah, whoever is your creator. If you believe that, you know, you will receive a sign or you will feel something. If you're open to that in those moments of silence and stillness, you'll hear it. You'll feel it. Your intuition will speak to you. An idea will come up um, and and make you reflect. But we in in North America anyway, and I say we listen, I'm a heterosexual middle class woman. So the experiences and my opinions are rooted in that perspective. Um, but we are just convinced that we don't need the quiet, the stillness, and it's go, go, go. And I think that's how they want us to live. Because if everyone is stopped in stillness and we're being authentic and we're discovering who we really are and we're connected with our gifts and we know how to use those gifts in our community, holy shit, how powerful would that be? And at the same time would lead to a breakdown of a system that is controlling us. And so the people in charge do what they can to limit that opportunity for individuals. And so I think the most valuable thing people can do is to be with themselves. Oh, nice. Yeah, and definitely. I def- definitely agree with like the more time you can, like you said, witness that relationship of your body and mind and bring mm-hmm. balance to that, bring harmony with that. And that's within and that's with you at all moments. Um, and I like to share a lot on my channel because I noticed the resistance that a lot of people have is there's too much going on. They've got this going on. They've got straight, all the external problems. Like you said, there's, there's always an external chaos. Uh, and to everyone, yeah. there's no measurement. Like I said, there's no judgment. Like someone's external chaos could be the, uh, they've got a child. And someone else is looking, oh, you're so lucky to have a child. And it's like, that's your judge in there. <laughs> and it's like, no, to them, that's chaos. That's, they're struggling. That's hard. And that's, that's yeah. fine if that's how it is. But they're... Yeah, they're- I- there's moments where you can still get moments on your own. And from my personal experience, like I said, 
my developments and change to bring that harmony back into and the starting process not the it wasn't like an instant change <laughs> the starting process happened when my life was in the worst possible place you know my external i'd lost work lost job my partner was diagnosed she's going to die in my arms and i was her full-time carer and my mum was dropping she was committing suicide like every month for seven months and until she got into a hospital um, and it was like everything was falling apart and it was within that moment uh, I had like a big suicidal episode and something changed. And I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to find some joy and love within. And once I went down that path, I realized that that external world is only for my influence. I can be of service there, but it can't control me. The control's within yeah. and that's all I've got a handle on. And I can learn and there's tools and methods and so much information available out there. And so many people to connect with as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and when you take the time to go within, you have a better idea of who you are, connections, right? And that's where the community piece comes in play because then you can intentionally seek out people that are doing what you're doing, that are aligned with your thoughts, aligned with, um, you know, your morals, or and you become mentors for each other. Um, but too often we connect with the wrong people. Yeah. because we're seeking out the wrong things so yeah when you find you know your people um it makes a world of difference yeah no, but it's, first it's within yeah. yeah something that comes to me and my uh, love daniel were talking about the other day is what i noticed in a pattern in is how many people know what they don't want and then they get exactly that and i feel like it's a focus thing like because your energy and your focus is totally what you don't want then that's what you're going to get because that's what you're thinking about and some people Absolutely. know what they want. So I think it's really yeah. important. Like you say, you, you try and spend some time alone. Know what you want. And that's not external. Yeah. What do you want internal? And what, mm-hmm. do you, what do you want to serve external? And if you can find mm-hmm. that place, do you know what I mean? You'll find communities and people where they have similar values, similar ideas, and you can all prosper mm-hmm. together. So on that point, where is your, because it's everything's digital now, where is your mm-hmm. digital space? Where can people come and check out your community and interact? Yeah, you know what, because we're talking about going within, I just did a five part series. um, And in each it's, you know, it's a 10 minute video. Uh, Audience, if you're listening, Ignite in Community is a beautiful uh, YouTube channel that holds space um, for women. And there are um, 11 diverse women from around the world who are sharing sparks of their truth through um, their wisdom, but also life experiences. And on that channel, I did a five-part series, um, me time, claiming me time, and just dispelling the five major obstacles that through my practice, I hear women say, you know, I can't Lynn, I just can't, I, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. That's the number one. And so we work through how creating the time and, uh, you know, debunk the myth of me time is selfish anyway. So igniting community. Yeah. There's, there's a beautiful collection of videos from women who are, you know, have done that work that we're just talking about, Luke, who have sat with themselves and who have um, an attachment to um, who they are and are sharing, are sharing because if we could, you know, come together as a collective, knowing who we are, then the power of that um, is, is way stronger than anything we can do by ourselves. And that's really what Igniting Community is about. So, yeah, you could subscribe to the YouTube channel. Or if that's not your jam, there's a Facebook group. You could join that. And we have themes of the month. Um, For April, the theme is um, spring cleaning. Clean out your mind, body, and closets. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. With your book, you mentioned your book earlier. Is that something that's still in the process or is that available? you know what oh um no i'm done it's published she's a beauty i'm totally proud of ignite and circle however because i made it a program um i'm actually i 
I only sell the book when you're, no, you, you get the book when you enroll in the program. Um, so you can't go buy it on Amazon. I, I mean, it's on my to-do list, you know, make a, a digital version. I'm just, I'm still sitting with that because I, I really want it to be an experience mm. and the program Ignite in Circle is a beautiful balance of like masculine and feminine energy. And when I say that, it's because you, we cover seven topics really um, that come out through the journey of, you know, what I would say is, you know, my midlife awakening. And one of those actually is finding the time, but space. And you do some practices at home throughout the week that I would say you're more comfortable with that you've, you know, might've done something similar to before. And then the power of the program is we come to circle once a week for meditation and manifesting some visualizations, but also I facilitate in-depth conversations on one of the topics that we've covered in that chapter. And when I do that, it is through really intentional feminine leadership strategies, but also seeing whatever issue, like we talked about body image. Okay. So if that was, I, uh, you know, I pinpoint something about body image and now we're going to dive in through the feminine perspective. And it is crazy, Luke, how many women are disconnected with not only who they are, but with their feminine intuition gifts. And we fail to recognize that we are both, we are feminine and masculine, and it's about this beautiful balance. And so that's what the program is trying to do. It's not, you know, poo-pooing the masculine and, and hey, hey, let's, you know, focus on what are traditionally known as feminine traits and characteristics. No, it's about, hey, I've, I've, I've got within me um, the masculine and the feminine. And if I could bring those two to balance, then I'm more whole. And so, yeah. no, I love yeah. that. And yeah, that's something that I've uh, tried to get across in person to people and online. And there's always a bit of an obstacle sometimes because the concept of masculine and feminine, some people just instantly their mind goes to male and female. And you're like, mm-hmm. right, you're trying to break mm-hmm. the pattern within them and go, no, you're whether you're a man or a female, you're masculine and feminine. Um, mm-hmm. And like when I was saying to you earlier about the, the body and the mind, I see that the, the body is more feminine and, and the mind is more masculine. And I've also noticed that the mind at the moment in culture seems to be uh, adored more. It's prioritized. Intellect's prioritized. Feelings aren't so, who cares about feelings? You know, it's all about the intellect and, and them properties. Like I said, everything's driven towards a high masculine state. And that's not a high male state. It's just a state within all of us that's there. And like you said, it knocks that balance out. But no, I really yeah. noticed that. So it's beautiful you're bringing that into people's lives. Yeah, one circle at a time. <laughs> I'm trying. So I'm actually excited, Luke, because now with, um, you know, things reopening um, in the, f- so I, I'm still doing um, circles once a month, but I will run Ignite and Circle again in the fall. So that's exciting. But in the meantime, um, Igniting Community is a beautiful space um, that I enjoy contributing to and invite um your listeners to check out yeah no that's very nice and i encourage the listeners to go check it out and show some support even just hitting the like buttons on someone's youtube video really does help you know it's dropping a comments even better so no it's been really beautiful to speak to you i think our hour is pretty much up i have a few just fun quick fire sort of questions they're just uh okay little fun ones but was there any last words that you <laughs> anything we didn't cover that you felt you needed to say no I think I've, I've really enjoyed the interview or, you know, the conversation it wasn't really an interview. I mean, you facilitated the conversation, which is why I use the word interview, but um, no, I, I, I thank you. Thank you for holding space for me and um, for giving me the opportunity just to kind of share sparks of my truth. I hope some of what I said resonates with your listeners, maybe provokes a bit of thought. Um, if anything, they're sitting in stillness. Try it. Do it. If you haven't done it. Hey, listen, I fell asleep when I started. 
So don't have any expectations of what that time is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like whatever it's going to look like. There are zero expectations. And I'm, I'm confident to say you'll, you'll start with 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You might fall asleep. There'll be days you skip it. There'll be days you're tempted to scroll on your phone. Um, but I guarantee you, you, if you're consistent, you'll keep coming back. You'll keep coming back to that time. And eventually it'll be half hour. It'll be an hour. And all those excuses you have made for denying yourself the time, will naturally um, find have solutions. You, you'll work around it because if you want it, it is available for you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. But I'm just going to ask you these quick questions. If you had to okay. choose one, cat or a dog? Cow or a dog? Yeah. Oh, a uh, dog. What's your favorite color? Navy blue. Do you say navy blue or maybe blue? <laughs> navy, navy. Okay. <laughs> what 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 excites you? What motivates you? What turns you on? Dancing in a drum circle. Yeah, and what does the opposite? What shuts you down? Uh dark energy. What's and I may know the answer from the, the question a minute ago, but what what sound or noise do you love? <laughs> yeah, the sound of a drum and the sound of my children laughing. Oh, nice. And what sound or noise do you not love so much? People chewing with their mouth open. <laughs> um, what, do you, <laughs> what do you love about yourself? I, there, <laughs> I was going to say I'm, I'm, I'm pretty vocal. And that was, that's what came to mind right away. Um, but I'm also learning that if I want my message to be heard, I almost need to rein that in a little bit. So I struggle there. Um, what do I love about myself? I'm not shy. Nice. What do you love to see in other people? I, particularly women, like in the workplace, um, when people gather and chit chat about something they want to see differently, you know, and then we have a meeting and all of a sudden my voice is the only one heard. I hate that. I hate that. It's like, I know you're thinking what I'm thinking, either at least support what I'm sharing or please use your voice. I, yeah. When I see people holding back, I'm quickly frustrated. <laughs> And what do you what do you love about animals? And that's the last question. And that can be pets or animals in nature. It's your choice. Okay, so I say this to even my students. I'm I am a tree hugger through and through. I would much rather hang out in a forest, uh, hugging a tree. Literally, I do that daily. Uh, then then cuddle to an animal. I'm not sure what it is, but. Um, yeah, although I could say I, I do have an appreciation for rabbits. My daughter, um, being a teenage girl, if you can just quickly think of some some what we say about teenage girls, that whole stereotype, there's been some drama. And uh, Grover, our family pet rabbit, has made all the difference. So mm -hmm. a lot of emotional regulation um, in those bunny cuddles happens. Oh, nice. And uh, as you're the first uh, guest that's said they they have a preference more towards the trees. What do you love about trees? Uh, they're, they, I, I think that they bring me comfort. They bring me comfort. Um, the other day I had a bit of a breakdown. I held the tree and I know she was holding me, you know, with my heart pressed against the tree trunk and I, I feel rooted and grounded and she literally offers me, you know, the air I need to breathe. And it's uh, of four trees and really has come more through my understanding of a woman's connection to mother Gaia. And the more I understand, you know how you were talking about, you know, the man is the mind, the woman is the body. Well, we are nature. We are the tides and the, 
um, yeah. And it, it, it comes through that. I, I, we're just connected. It, it, that's, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just got to just drop in there that the masculine is the mind and the feminine is the body, not the man. not the. Feminine. Yes. I, I knew you were going to correct me on that. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, totally. But yeah, no trees. I think they're um, very underappreciated is the way I could put it, you know, for the, for what they give like we wouldn't be breathing if it wasn't for them and even just the shade that they offer to the soil and to the earth and the importance of the whole ecosystem there i think is something that is growing it is something that people are noticing now and becoming more aware to and there's many movements on it so it's nice to see but yeah it's lovely it's been beautiful to talk to you and connect with you and hear more about your life and i truly appreciate you just coming on and being honest and authentic and even vulnerable as you said Thank you, Luke. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, well, I think you said it was early in the day for you. So have a beautiful rest of your day, whatever you get up to. And um, yeah, let's speak soon and let's stay in contact. Sounds lovely. Thank you. Okay, have a beautiful day. Cheers, Luke. Cheers, bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to The Selfish Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their path to self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right. Much love. Have a great day.